thought what we just do uh, a little bit of a, I don't know, fatherly, motherly little talk. I was thinking tonight about um, temptation and, you know, about managing your, your inner world. And I did a teaching here, um, I think, I don't know, it's been a while. I, I just taught it in Australia, so I, I don't remember exactly when I did it. But I think you, I think the students may have been here. First year students may have been here when we talked about living in wholeness. Do you remember that? When we talked about living in wholeness. And anyway, if you didn't. We talked about how God, how uh, God healed the man at the gate, beautiful. Um, he went. He was walking and leaping and praising God. Were any of you here for that? That was kind of the text. No. Okay. Well, I'll, I'll give you a little o- overview for five minutes, and then I'll tell you where I'm going with it. I was just talking about in Acts chapter three, where the man is at the gate, beautiful. Remember that story, or do you need to read it? Remember the story. Okay. So Peter is the man is begging for alms and. Peter says, we're pastors, we don't have money, but what we have, we give to you. In the name of Jesus, walk. And he took him by the hand, and he helped him up. And, and the man began to walk, leap, and praise God. Now, how many of you remember the story? And, um, and so, a couple things I love about that story. He's asking for a handout. Peter takes him by the hand and gives him a hand up. And, and I think that a lot of people who are asking for a handout actually need a hand up. And they need a whole new ecosystem, a whole new way of thinking. But uh, he walked, he got physically healed, he leaped, he got emotionally healed, and he praised God, he got spiritually healed. And the message that I preached that, that night was about the fact that sometimes people obtain things they can't sustain. And I, I was talking, I shared about the fact that sometimes people get healed and a year later they're sick because they got physically healed, but they didn't get whole. They didn't get whole in their soul and in their body. They got whole in their body, but they didn't get whole in their soul and their spirit. And therefore, because they didn't get whole, there was because sickness was maybe rooted in some other dimension of their being, because how many of you know you're tripolar? You're tridimensional. Because the man didn't get healed, uh, because people often don't get healed in their, I'm sorry, because people get healed, but they don't get whole. In other words, their body gets healed, but they don't get whole, sometimes they, um, they can't sustain what they obtained in God. And so uh, I did this whole uh, teaching on becoming whole and the fact that you're a spirit, a soul, and a body. And that when you got saved, Acts, I'm sorry, 2 Corinthians 5.17 says that you became a new creation. You didn't just become a new spirit, but you became a whole new creation. And actually, God actually loves every dimension of your creation. He loves your spirit, he loves your soul, and he loves your body. In fact, Romans chapter 12 says, offer your body as a living sacrifice, which, uh, um, and, which is holy and acceptable to God, and it's your spiritual service of worship. And so your body, when you receive Jesus Christ, actually becomes a holy temple for the Holy, for the holy Spirit. How many of you know that? How many of you do know that? And so, um, this is all review, but for those of you who weren't here. So in Romans chapter 6, it says that the mindset on the flesh is death. And it, it, it's, it's actually opposed to God. It can't obey God. It's not even able to. But how many of you understand that when you received Jesus, you received a new flesh? Because uh, Ephesians chapter 6, uh, Acts chapter 5 says, Husbands, love your wives as you love your own flesh. For no one ever hated his own flesh, 
but listen to this, but nourishes and cherishes it. By the way, same Greek word, flesh. No one ever hated his own flesh, but nourishes and cherishes it. Cherishes it. So husbands ought to love your wives as you love your own flesh. Now, how many of you understand that God is not asking us to love our Romans 6 flesh that is opposed to God? Are you with me? That Romans 6 flesh, you're supposed to crucify at the baptismal tank. And so in in, uh, Galatians 5, it tells us about, um, in fact, I may have the notes here, but if I don't, you can turn to Galatians 5 just for clarification, because it looks like a whole bunch of you haven't heard this teaching, so I want to make sure that you you know what I'm talking about. Are you you leaving? No. Oh. (laughs) It's going to get better. Galatians chapter 5, listen to this, verse 18, but if you are being led by the Spirit, you're not under the law. Now the deeds of the flesh are evident, which are immorality, impurity, sensuality, idolatry, sorcery, enmities. I'm going to stop for a minute. Did you notice that sorcery, witchcraft, is a sin of the flesh? Enmities, strife, jealousy, outbursts of anger, Disputes, dissension, factions, envies, drunkenness, carousing, and all uh, things like these, of which I forewarned you, just as I forewarn you, that those who practice these things shall not inherit the kingdom of God. So let me just be clear. The, the, in Romans 6, we're taught, we're taught that the mindset on the flesh is death. It's hostile towards God. And when he said the mindset on the flesh is hostile towards God, He's talking about immorality, impurity, sensuality, idolatry, sorcery, enmity, strife, jealousy, outbursts of anger, so on and so forth. So he's talking about that old nature that was crucified when at the cross and that it drowned in the baptismal tank. Are you, are you with me at all? Yeah. So I used to be taught that there was a black dog inside of me and a white dog. The black dog was the old man and the white dog was the new man. If I fed the black dog, the old man started to rule. If I, fled the, if I fed the white dog, the new man started to rule. And then I realized one day that the black dog is dead. The black dog is dead. He drowned at the baptismal tank. It's not my nature to, to have jealousy, enmity, strife, contention, sorcery, idolatry, disputes, dissensions, factions, drunkenness. Those things are not my nature. They're part of an old nature that was supposed to be drowned at the baptismal tank. That nature is opposed to God. Are you, are you following me? Yeah. And so that nature is no longer a part of who I am. And the only time it is a part of who I am is when I go down to the graveyard, I dig up the old man, I resurrect him, and I let him talk to me, but it's called necromancing. You're talking to the dead. Are you, are you getting where, where I'm going? Okay, and so, um, I, so I taught on the fact that you're a, a spirit, soul, and a body, and that your spirit has needs. We know the spirit needs the word. You're, the spirit, it, I'm not talking about want, it needs the word. Some, some of you are like, really? I'm like, yeah, your spirit needs the word. Have you ever been reading the Bible and your soul is kind of like, ha, oh, we know the next verse, like... Hey, we know this by heart. Can we read another book? Can we watch a movie? 
But your spirit needs the word. It actually doesn't just want it, it needs it. Your spirit needs worship. And I'm not just talking about when the, worship, when the, when the music starts. I'm saying the, the, your spirit needs worship. And when you, when, you give, when you worship God, your spirit grows. Your spirit needs prayer. It needs interaction with God. I, listen, I know that it, sometimes you want it, but I'm saying you need it. You need, you need it like you need air. And so usually every Sunday, week after week, we teach people how to manage their spiritual life. But what we don't often teach them is how to manage the other two dimensions of your being, which is your soul and your body. And how many of you understand that the Lord loves your body? Say this, the Lord loves my body. <laughs> yeah, the Lord loves my body and he loves my soul. And David said, it's my soul that makes a boast in the Lord. Deuteronomy said this, love the Lord your God with all your heart, which is Old Testament way of saying spirit, with all your heart, with all your soul, with all your mind, and with all your strength. Spirit, soul, and body. Your strength with all your body. And um, the psalmist wrote this, I think it's in Psalms, it might be 65. He said, my soul and my flesh yearn for the living God. So how many of you understand that even in the old covenant, people who love God, love God tridimensionally? Spirit, soul, and body. All right, okay. And so I've been concerned that we teach people week after week how to manage their spirit. How to manage their spirit. Like we say to you, you know, like, hey, you should read your Bible every day. It, like if you don't read your Bible every day, it's like, it's like, well, I read once a week. It's like, would you eat once a week? If, you know, there would be something wrong with you. You know, once in a while you get the flu or something, you don't feel like eating. But you wouldn't do that as a regular part of life. You need to read your Bible every week, every day. Every week. <laughs> you, need, you need prayer. Like, you need times of prayer. And, you know, I, I, I don't, from, this is my deal. This is, may not be yours, but... I'm not a make-a-list guy, and if you are, that's awesome. If you're that disciplined, that's really awesome. But, and, and I, but I think it has to be, you know, God can't just be your habit. He has to be your friend. So, so if, you, if you have good God habits, don't give those up, but make sure that you have a friend. Make sure that you talk to God about the things that are on your heart, the things that, you know, it's great to pray. For, I mean, it's not great. It's it's necessary to pray for other people, for, to pray for the things that, that are ahead, to pray for the people you have responsibility for, and the things that God's put a burden on, you, on your heart for. But make sure that you talk to God in a way that you have a relationship with God. You know, if I talked to Kathy, and every time we talked, it was about, like, um, work. At some point, I'm like, you know, I want to have a relationship with you. I don't want to just talk about the things we're doing. I want to talk about us. And so... Your spirit needs that. And, um, and your soul, your soul needs stuff too. And so we talked about this in that teaching. But your soul needs stuff. Maybe we should just go back. To, we'll do your body first. It's easier to connect. Your body needs food. You can see that I have learned that well. <laughs> your body needs exercise. I, I'm not saying your body wants it. That's, you know, like... I went through a season where I went through a deep depression. This is five years ago. It lasted, severely it lasted for six months. And I didn't want to eat. Like, I lost 35 or 30, 
six pounds, and, and everyone's like, man, you look great. And I'm like, yeah, well, <laughs> you don't always get there the right way. I didn't want to eat. But, and, but I, I, my body needs to eat. Like, I need food. And I need air. How many of you know you need air? Like, if somebody's in, somebody falls in the pool and they're drowning, you don't, like, you don't go like, ah, they just need air. <laughs> People are so unspiritual. You, you don't do that. You, you go, wow, they're drowning. And if somebody, if you... <laughs> I'm funny when I'm trying not to be. If you see someone drowning in the pool and you jump in, they don't go, oh, you've come to rescue me. Thank you. I need air. <laughs> right? I mean, they're like, and you go in there to jump in to help them, and you think they would be like, oh, you've come to help me. But they'll drown you too, right? Yeah. Think about this. This is a metaphor. They'll drown you to get air. They are that desperate for air. And if you jump in, most of the time, if you jump in to save somebody, I mean, if you do this at all, like you're a lifeguard or whatever, you take training because it's real possible that somebody will drown you trying to get air. It's not that they want to drown you. It's just that that's how badly they need air. And, and we don't make fun of people who need air. <laughs> so, <laughs> I mean, some people just, you know, we're just like, they just suck, right? Like, oh, breathe in. Anyway, you didn't get that part. I was trying to be funny. And, and then, um, so, you're, so what I'm getting at is your body needs stuff. And we don't, we don't like say, well, you're just unspiritual because you need air. Or you need to eat like, wow, you know, if you really love God, you wouldn't need to eat. <laughs> right? If you, really, if, you, if you really love God, you, 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 know, you wouldn't need exercise. Some of you do believe that, huh? I love God so much, I just don't move. But, the, but your soul needs stuff. Your soul needs affection. I don't mean it wants it. Of course it wants it, but it needs it. Like, I was born to be adored. That's why I'm the bride, and he's the bridegroom. That's why Adam said, a man shall leave his father and mother and cleave to his wife. How many of you understand that a wife is going to leave her father and mother too, or it's going to be a very strange relationship? <laughs> <laughs> the Bible says you leave your father and mother, but we're living with our parents. And my parents are like, well, that's kind of weird. I don't know. But, but my point is, is that when Adam prophesied, because remember there was no father and mother, a man will leave his father and mother and cleave to his wife. He wasn't saying the wife wouldn't leave. He was, he was prophesying who would pursue who. And so I'm the bride of Christ, as you are. I was born to be adored. I was born to be pursued. I, I was born for affection. I, just don't, I don't just want it. I need it. I, I was born. I, I need attention. Do you know... I was talking to a um, a teacher. She did. Uh, she was a. She's a. one of the top curriculum writers in the United States. She is the top curriculum writer in the United States. And we were interacting, and she was talking about. Um, we were talking about the need for attention and affection in the classroom, and she said they did a study, 
And they found out that if you put somebody in isolation, like in prison, if you isolate them for seven days, they will go insane. The inability to interact with other people will drive you crazy because you were born to need other people. So what I'm getting at is that you need, you don't just want attention, you need attention. So some people are like, well, I don't need attention. The more you say you don't need it, the more I'm convinced you do. Or I don't care what people think about me is a great way of saying, I really care what you think about me, and I care so much, I'm afraid that you don't like me, so I'll reject you before you reject me. These are all ways that we deal with our fears, and I can tell you that probably your greatest fear, or at least one of your greatest fears in life, as it is mine, is that you're going to reach out to somebody that you really care about, and they're not going to reach back. Now, you may reach out to the transit, and he doesn't reach back, and that doesn't break your heart, probably doesn't scare you, but the idea that you would reach out to somebody, that you would like somebody, and I'm not even talking about romance now, but that you would like somebody and they wouldn't like you back, is one of the scariest things in our life, that we would actually value someone and they would not value us back. It's the reason why when I walk down the aisle, you guys, and I see you in, the, in, the, in Hebrews and all over the place, you pretend to not see me. Although I'm three inches from you, <laughs> you walk, you will walk right past me and not say hello. Do you notice that? And you will do it with every single person whom you deem important and you are not secure in their affection. You will look, you will see me coming and don't tell me you can't see me when I'm three inches from you, your right side. You, you, your peripheral vision is not that bad. But you will not look over, and you will not smile. You will keep going. And the reason why you do that, even though you haven't thought through it, is, is because probably you feel like Bill or I or Danny or, or Kathy or Benny or, and I can list a whole, name, a whole bunch of people, you probably came here because you value us. And the, probably the scariest thing in the world is that you would say hi and that you wouldn't get a hi back. Or that you would smile, and you wouldn't get a smile back. And you don't realize you're doing it, but you do it because you're afraid that you're going to reach out, and people you value won't reach back to you. So you look down, you look away, and you refuse to say hi to people that you have a high value for. Can I chime in here? You want to say something about that? Uh, yeah. You know, I'm glad, I'm glad that you um, were touching on that, because... This is a really huge subject. I mean, everybody deals with that. It's not just you guys. It's me. It's Chris. It's everybody. You're not, you're not isolated. We're not isolated from it. It's a kind of a corporate thing that ends up happening. And, and really, the enemy, he uses it to entrap us and to keep us from having relationships, to keep us feeling like we're small, like we're little, like we're insignificant, we're like we're, we're, we're not important and it is a really big thing. I, I spent most of my life in fear of what other people were going to think about me. I've spent most of my life in fear of thinking that I didn't have something to say or that I, I wasn't good enough or whatever. You fill in the blank because you guys have had the same thoughts and the same feelings. Just today, since I've been in this room, I've had like three people come up to me and say just what Chris was talking about. I feel like people are afraid to come and say something to you. Or I feel like 
um, people don't do it enough or because they're afraid. I mean, it's something that's going on. It's not just a, it's not just something that maybe we've experienced or you've experienced personally, but it's corporate. I mean, three people in one night, that's, that's pretty amazing. We do, we do need to reach out and touch somebody. And really, it's going to be a huge bondage breaker if you guys can just learn that one lesson and step past your fear. It's like, come on, you guys. You spent all this money to come to school. You gave up a whole nine months of your normal, whatever that is, life, to come and to be with everybody else. Why would you allow the enemy to shut you up in fear? Why are you doing that? I just want to challenge you guys. You know what? Step across that chicken line. Because if I can do it, you guys can do it. If I can do it, you can do it. Just, you know what? Put all those fears aside. Say, devil, I don't care. Chris is talking about he needs attention. Yeah, he needs attention. He needs a lot of attention. (laughs) And you know what? It's true, though. I I require a lot of attention. But you know what? He knows how to get attention, too. Tell everybody the whole truth and nothing but the truth. He knows, he knows how to get attention. You know, I just got a horse. Oh, my gosh. Don't even get me started on him. But for a week, I had his brother also. So I have a four-year-old Missouri Fox Trotter who's broke. And I, have, and I had my daughter's two-year-old, which is just this blonde-haired Palomino-colored baby that he demands your attention. I mean, he just doesn't want it. If he, if he doesn't get it, he goes after you. Not in a mean way. It's just like, Mom, you're here. You're here. And puts his head down and is nudging me and nudging me. And if I'm not, if I'm not reaching into him enough, I'm not giving him enough affection, he's coming after me. His, he's nuzzling me with his, his mouth and he takes That's his little lips and he, <laughs> he pulls him back and he shows his teeth. You can tickle his nose and he shows his teeth and he hey, smiles don't at tell you. tell everybody what I do. He demands attention. He knows how to go after it. He doesn't care what anybody thinks about it, right? Too much information. I'm not talking about you. Oh. I'm talking about legend. Oh, the horse does the same thing I do. Yes, the horse does the same thing. Anyway. <laughs> Honey, I don't know if this is such a good idea. <laughs> He, what, my whole point is, is he is not afraid. He's, he's not afraid. He's not afraid to, to, to let people know what his needs are. He'll just go after him. If he's not getting them, he'll, he'll get them met. Come on, you guys. We need each other. We need to step beyond our comfort zone and just say, you know what? 
Who cares what happens? I, I'm going to go after this relationship. There's somebody right now, think about it. There's somebody that the Lord's placed on your heart. A name, a face, a thought that's come across your mind. Maybe it's somebody from your past a long time ago. Maybe it's somebody in school. Maybe it's somebody that you kind of like already. It's like, like you know what? Go after that person. Don't let the enemy rob you from the relationship of one another. Push past that. Push through it. (laughs) That's a good word right there. The horse is better at it than I am. So your soul needs affection. It needs attention, it needs love, it needs a sense of significance, it needs relationship. And um, it sounds like you guys didn't hear any of this before, did you? At least you doesn't act, you're not acting like you do. Uh, here's the challenge. If you don't believe, if, you, if no one told you that you need those things, you have no plan for how to get those needs met. So instead of proactively, like, okay, let's back up. We teach you how to proactively get your spiritual needs met. You know, we say, hey, you need to read your Bible. Hey, you need to pray, all that stuff. And we go Sunday after Sunday all over the world, and, we, and pastors and leaders teach people how to get your spiritual needs met. But I'm concerned because I don't think that we've learned to nourish and cherish our soul. I don't think we've nur- learned to nourish and cherish our flesh. Like, I don't think we've learned how to take care of the other two parts of us. And I think what happens because of that is that people come into our culture, and I mean, they might, it might be your house, it might be this church, it might be whatever. I'm saying they come into culture, especially Christians. I think Christians have the same of divorce rate as non-Christians, specifically for this reason. We don't know how, to, how in, a, in a, a healthy way to get our needs met. So we end up getting them met. Like, we know how to get our spiritual needs met, and so we're like really spiritual, and we think, well, if I'm really spiritual, then the rest of me will be okay. And I'd like to propose to you, and I just taught this in a conference, James Gall came up to me and said, that was profound. I've never heard anything like that before. Jay came to me and talked to me. Jayon said, that, that needs, every, every Christian needs to hear this. And I think it's true. It's like we teach people how to be spiritual and get their spiritual needs met, but we never even talk about the soul and the body and therefore, we leave people to do it, however, or in most cases, we, we, we elevate the spirit. We go, this is, if you're really spiritual, you won't need air. I'm being metaphoric. You won't need affection. You won't need attention. So when somebody is acting like Kathy's horse and they're trying to get attention, we're like, oh, they're just emotional. They're just being emotional. And we play the two other parts of our being down as if they're evil and being spiritual means I'm not soulish and I don't have anything to do with the flesh. And I'm trying to say to you, when you became a new creation, you became a new creation, spirit, soul, and body. The man walked, leaped, and he praised God. He got tridimensionally healed. And I think that walking in wholeness isn't just like, you know, learning to fast and pray. I think it's learning how to take care of everything that God made in you. And I think you need to take care of your body because it's the temple of the Holy Spirit. 
And Romans 12 says it's a holy temple of God. And so your body's holy and your, and your soul is, is, is holy. Are, are you following me? Um, I, I think we have, to start evalu- we, start, we have to start valuing emotion. Jesus said the spirit is willing but the flesh is weak. Now, he didn't say the spirit is willing, but the flesh is evil. That's the way we retranslate it. Listen, if I, you know, how many of you have children? You have children. How many have little children? You know, I, I, have, I have some little children. Well, they're bigger now, but, you know, when my, when my grandkids, I don't know, I got, I mean, you know, my grandkids. When, when, I, when, my, when my grandson was two, and I'm walking through the mall with him to get ice cream, you know, he can't walk as fast as I walk. You know, and I, I, don't, I don't just like drag him. <laughs> you know, he's like. <laughs> right? We, we have to walk the speed he's able to walk. Not the speed I'm able to walk. Yeah. If I'm going to nourish and cherish my flesh, the rest of my being, my spirit can move at a pace, if you will, that my soul and my body can't work at. As a matter of fact, my spirit doesn't even need sleep. Do you know that's why there's no sun and moon? There's in, in, in heaven, Revelation 21, 22, there's no sun or moon, there's no night. You know why? Not because night is bad, because the spirit world doesn't sleep. You know, when you go to sleep and you have a dream, you know that's your soul and body sleeping, but your spirit doesn't sleep. The spirit world doesn't even need sleep. And so sometimes the dreams you have that you think you had a dream, like a virtual reality dream, is actually your spirit having an adventure while your soul and your body slept. And you remember it as a dream. But it's actually something your spirit was doing while it waited for your soul and body to rest. You're going to be reading God's generals if you haven't read it yet. And it's a, that's a great, you know, it's, um, God's General is a great book about the people who went before us and, you know, that great spiritual people. Most of those people didn't fall, I think, the whole, I think every one of them in, the, in that book that I can think of fell. But most of them, their fall at least didn't start spiritually. It started with their body and their emotions failing. Evan Roberts is one who comes to my mind. He had a nervous breakdown. He never actually returned to, to normal. Why? Because they, those guys weren't taught to take care of their, their triune being, and they prayed for people till they dropped, till they literally, you know, William Branham, they would, people would come to William Branham's house and literally there would be lines and he would, he would pray for people then lay down at, at, at the altar. He would sleep for a few minutes or a half an hour and then get up and pray for people again. And he would do that until everybody was prayed for. And he would go to his house and there would be lines of people waiting for him. That's why I have a gate. I'm simply saying that people weren't taught to take care of their soul and their body. And, they weren't, and part of the reason why they weren't taught to take care of it is because they were taught to not value it. They were actually taught, like, you know, in the Victorian age, you, um, 
if you know anything about church history, and I know very little, but in the Victorian age, people were taught that anything that had to do with passion was evil. In the, in the uh, 5th century, Che was talking about, uh, in the conference I just left, in the 5th century, people took vows of silence and moved out of society. That's when, where monasteries started. People were so, like, they so thought that in stimulating your soul in any way was evil. They thought, like the Gnostics thought, that anything that was natural was evil. And so they moved into monasteries, and then that wasn't enough. Then they took vows of silence. And, and all I'm getting at is that those practices aren't with us, but the core values are still with us. The idea that being spiritual means I don't value the rest of me. And here's my idea. My idea is that, you know how it says, how it talks about husbands, love your wives, nourish and cherish her, cherish her. And in 1 Peter it says, live with your wife in an understanding way as, if, as with a weaker vessel. He's not talking about, he just means just because you can beat her up doesn't mean you should be. He says, with, as a, live with your wife in an understanding way as with a weaker vessel and treat her as a joint heir of the same grace. He's saying to, to Peter, listen, you might be able to beat your wife up, but you better treat her as a joint heir of the same grace. And what I'm getting at is this. Husbands are supposed to learn, how many know a, a, the husband is a cultivator? Adam was taught to cultivate the garden. The woman is the incubator. You know, man gives her sperm, she gives him baby. Man buys house, she makes it home. He goes, kills animal, she makes meal. She incubates what he cultivates. You give her crap, you don't know what's coming back. The goal is to cultivate your woman, to nourish and cherish her as Christ does the church. And, my, and, and I think that our spirit, and I'm not talking about Holy Spirit, okay? You have Holy Spirit, and you have your spirit in you. Holy Spirit's perfect. Holy Spirit's God. So I'm not talking about Holy Spirit. I'm saying your spirit needs to learn. How many understand Jesus learned obedience to the things he suffered? So your spirit needs to learn the skills of taking care of the rest of you. Like you're supposed to be spirit-led. That means my spirit needs to learn how to not walk this fast just because he can. He needs to be able to learn to walk my speed. My spirit needs to tell my soul we need some rest. Hey, we need, we need some interaction with some people. Look at, you look, you look tired. And Kathy can tell you that we do this for one another. I'll, I'll see that Kathy's tired. I'm like, listen, you, you need a break. You look tired. Or you look bored. I said, how are you doing? I feel bored. You, you need to go do something you really like. I, I'm saying, as a husband, I'm like, I'm cultivating my woman. I'm saying, what is it you need? She so can tell you this for 37 years, about every six months. It's probably accurate. Well, you can say if it's not, feel free. But we're laying in bed at night, 
about every six months, and I say, how are you doing? And she always says, doing fine. Doing great. And I say, how are you really doing? How are you really doing? <laughs> and she says, I'm doing really good. I'm doing really good. And I say, what would it take <laughs> to make you even happier? Right? Yep, you do. And she starts to say, nothing. <laughs> and I say, we're not ending this conversation until you tell me. I say, just give me one thing, right? Yep. Say, come on, just give me one thing. Just tell me one thing that, because I say, how are you doing? She always says, doing good. I said, are you happy? She says, yeah. Yeah. I said, what does it take, to, what would it take to make you really happy? Really happy. And she says, I'm really happy. Happy. <laughs> True? True? And I say, but what would it take to make you even really happier? And then she starts to tell me, well, tell me, tell them one thing. You it takes about. a while before I can get past the well. Yeah, it takes you, it takes you about 10 minutes before you get past the well. I know. But then you say, I, what, what's some of the things you've said over the years? No pressure. <laughs> I feel like we're laying in bed again and it's going all over again. Yeah. Well, a horse. No, I'll tell you how the horse thing happened. You can ask her if it's true. Rip you know what? Let, yeah, you tell the, the story. The thing. Is this boring or? Okay. Tell them how the horse thing happened. The short version. Okay. They don't need all the woman details. Well, the women do, but men, the guys don't want all men the details. Don't do that. <laughs> Lesson number one. You know what? We've been no, but, the, but then you got to do you, do, you do this little thing, and then what does he do? <laughs> Pulls his lip back, and it shows you he's happy. <laughs> you know, we've... Chris and I have been together forever, literally, since I was 12. So that's just about forever. And, you know, he's, he's known what my dreams are and, and my desires and the things that, that I like to do. But... Really, honestly, my biggest desire has been to serve him and to be partnered with him and just really to see his vision fulfilled. So many times people have asked me, he's asked me, what, what is your vision in life? And it's like, it's probably sad, but I've never really had, I don't think I've really had my own vision per se, because my vision has always been making him the best possible man that he could ever be. But and I have enough vision for us. That's all of true. Us. That is true. There's enough love to go around. <laughs> so, you know, for me, it was like I'm, I'm doing everything that I feel like I was born and created to do. But Chris is like, 
I get that, and I appreciate that, but there's got to be something more. And so he's like, you know what, honey? You've, you, you used to go horseback riding all the time when you were little, and wouldn't you love to have a horse? And I'm thinking, oh, my gosh, a horse at this age in my life? I don't think so. And then I'm thinking of all the responsibility because my kids are all out of diapers. My grandkids are all out of diapers. And I'm thinking, horse is a lot of responsibility. And then, But he kept kind of going after it. He didn't stop. He kept going on and on and on. And that, he, we could keep him on our property. We got three and a half acres. And you come home and ride him. And he just kept going on and on and on. And, and so then I started like thinking about it. And it's like I started catching a vision and then pretty soon it started to become my vision. I'm like, honey, we have no place for a horse. And he goes, yes, we do. I said, well, we could board him out. And he goes, and you'd never ride. He goes, we'll put him on our property. I'm like, honey, that's going to take a lot. And he goes, we'll fence the rest of it all in. I've been wanting to refence the, the property anyway. I'm like, yeah, but okay, you fence it in, but you got to have a corral. And where are you going to corral the horse at? And he goes, right in the back. I'm like, honey, right in the back. That's where you're basketball court was going to go. You know how long he's wanted that? I mean, when my girls, when my kids were home in Weaverville, we were so broke, we had no money. And he had saved and saved and saved and saved money to get a garage because he was a mechanic and every guy wants his man cave. And that was his. And he had enough money to get the permit and to maybe kind of break ground. And then all of a sudden, our daughter came home and said, Dad, Mom, I want to get married. And there went his nest egg. And he saved and saved and saved the next year. The next year. And our second daughter came home and said, Dad, <laughs> I want to get married. And then the next year, all of a sudden, Jason walks through the door and he goes, I've seen that look before you want to get married. And so everything, everything that he had saved for for himself had been given away and sacrificed for somebody else. And then now all of a sudden he's saying, I mean, he's been talking about this basketball court. He'll, he'll, go, to, he'll go to the Y and play like three times a week when he's home just because he loves it so much. And yet now he's saying, I have a vision for your horse to be right here where I envision my basketball court. And I'm like, honey, no, we're not going to do that. And he goes, yes, we are, because that's the desire of your heart. So now I have a corral and horses on top of Chris's basketball court. <laughs> but you know what? Love sacrifices. And love, love goes beyond itself. Love feeds off of loving other people and putting themselves aside. I mean, he is, he's like, you know what? We'll find another place. He's just so happy that I'm happy. And every night I just lay in bed thinking, I am the most blessed woman in the whole, whole entire world. And you guys should be, you should be saying that too. Because we have the same daddy. We have the same daddy, and he is so good, and he wants to give us good things. He wants to give you the desires of your heart. You just got to open up and ask. You got to let him know that time that Chris is talking about, just sharing and being with him. Just let him know.
just let them know what your dreams are. Let them know what your desires are. Because you know what? They're not too big. And they are not impossible. That's awesome. Good word. So, uh, it, really, it really is important that we nourish and cherish the people around us. I, I, I really do, you know, I personally get a lot of joy in making the people around me happy that I love. Mm-hmm. The people that I love. Like, I, I'm a crazy, extravagant giver. I like to give, like... To the place where I, I, I give all my stuff away. If I, if someone goes, oh, I like that shirt. I'm like, okay. <laughs> <laughs> They've never liked my underwear. I don't buy good ones. <laughs> but I. But the way that we take care of our wives, guys, the way we're instructed to take care of our wives. I believe that our spirit, our, not Holy Spirit, I'm just trying to be clarify. I think our spirit needs to learn how to nourish and cherish our soul and our body. Yeah. And I, first of all, I think it needs to know what our needs are. Mm-hmm. I think you need to know what your needs are. And I, when I say you need affection, how many of you understand that we're all different? So some of you are like, you need lots of affection. Some of you need a little bit of affection, but you all need some. And, and the people who say, I don't need affection, either one or two things. Either you're scared, like we talked about, or your affection needs are getting met fine. I mean, you know, it's like you're, you, you have, you're getting the level of affection that you need to feel healthy. Um, but a whole bunch of you in here aren't. And, and if, you don't, if you don't have a plan, a proactive plan, to meet your, the needs of your soul... You're going to get it, you're going to meet the needs of your soul reactively instead of proactively. And frankly, and, and, I, and I hope there's no one in here that has this, and I, I don't mean this offensively. I'm trying to talk to you as a father. That's why I was going to have you sit down here tonight. Because I had this picture in my mind that I would talk to you as a father, not preach to you. But, but if you don't get your needs met proactively, you get them done, you get them met. You do get them met. You're going to get air. It might look ugly. You might, if, you're, if, you're, if you need air really bad, you might hurt other people to get it. But you're going to do anything you can to get air. And I'm going to tell you something. You're going to do anything you can to get your soul needs met. I am convinced it's the reason why people end up in the arms of some other woman, some other man. I can't tell you how many people... I have men especially. I, I'm not saying they're worse. I'm just saying they're more ignorant. I can't tell you how many men I've had in my office over the years. And I mean, I could tell you story after story. I could have you on your face bawling right now. The amount of men that I've sat with who've been married 15, 20 years. Only to have their wife tell them, I don't love you anymore. And you know what happened? They weren't meeting the soul need of their wife. And they'd say, we go to church. We're, my wife's a Christian. You know, I was, we were, you know, 
we, were, we got born again together. We've been Christians for 20 years. I can tell you, the sad thing is, I, I probably should be careful, but I'm going to tell you anyway. I can't tell you how many pastors I've eaten with now who their wives don't want to be married to them anymore. And they stay together for the sake of the church or the sake, sake of the kids. And, and, and she meets somebody who just shows her a little attention. What does she need? She's starving for attention. But he has a mistress. It's called the church. Or he has a mistress. It's called his business. Or he has a mistress. It's called his career. Or it's called his whatever. You know, you get the idea. And, and girls, it happens to girls too. So, but I can tell you, for I've counseled many more men. When, what's surprising is, is that this, this comment... If, I bet you I've heard this comment, I don't know, it would just be a guess. It, no less than 300 times. It could be a thousand times. And I, I'm not saying a thousand as an exaggeration. I can't tell you how many men I've had sitting right in front of me, and their wives tell them, I don't want to be with you anymore. I don't love you. And they say this, I didn't know there was anything wrong with our marriage. I, can't, I bet you 300 times I've at least heard that. The man say, I thought our marriage was fine. And what happened is, is that he is not meeting the sole need, the need for affection, the need for attention, the need to be adored. And some other guy comes along, and she may not be having a physical affair, but somebody came along and said, you're beautiful. Hey, you're amazing. Hey, she talked, and he actually listened. And she's like, hey, and she may not be in an affair at all, but she's like, I know what it's like. Listen, if I get rid of you, then I can go find someone who will do this for me. Because I work with somebody who makes me feel like a person. And I come here and you, and you, make, me feel, you, feel, you make me feel like property. I'm someone who washes your clothes and we have sex with. But there's no connection. And I'm convinced that and I understand I'm talking about husband and wife, but I think the same thing happens between spirit and soul. I think people most often wander away from God, not because they're not getting their spiritual needs met, but because they're not getting their soul, and, and they're not getting the rest of their, their needs met. And so they come to church, and it's like the Spock Vulcan zone. And, and emotion is downplayed. And when somebody is starving for emotion... I'm starving, I'm sorry, starving for affection. We belittle them. We may not say anything like to them. We just say it from the podium. We just say it from the podium like, are you really spiritual? No. And we say things like, oh, people are just trying to get attention. And you're there and you're like, I, I'm starving for attention. He just told me I can't get it here. And you know what happens when you need, it, when you need air? You, you take people with you, like you hurt people to get it. I'm convinced that if you need attention and you're not getting it, you'll hurt a bunch of people around you to get it. You know, I do know this because I worked with probation kids, kids who were on probation. If you can't get your father or mother's attention by being good, you will get attention. And I guarantee you, a bunch of those kids are breaking laws because they're saying, Dad, do you know I'm alive? Do you know I'm here? Do you care? Like, if you have to pick me up at Juvenile Hall, at least it's the first time you've shown me attention. 
I can tell you, look, it's the absolute truth. I worked with kids for five years who were all on probation. If they couldn't get attention positively, which most of them didn't know, they didn't know how to do that. If they weren't the smartest kid in the class or they weren't good at sports or they didn't do anything significant, you know, it's like, you know, you know how many kids are in the top of their class? Not very many. That's why it's called the top of the class. How many kids are great athletes? You know, let's just be real. How many kids look like models? You know, yeah, great if you do. Great if you're at the top of your class. Great if you can perform at that level. But you know what? There's just very few of us who can. So what happens to all those C average, C average kids? You know, who have a the grade point, uh, an IQ of 100, which is called average, and I'm an average kid, and I'm not a great soccer player, and I'm not a great piano player, and I don't sing very well, and, you know, and I, I'm not that beautiful, and, you know, I'm not, I, I'm, I'm not all these things. I, I, don't, I don't do anything extraordinary that draws attention, and I go home, and, and, and maybe I don't have a mom or a dad, or they're, or they're, they're entrenched in their careers. And so I don't get attention. I don't learn how to get attention a good way. And I end up in a gang where there's camaraderie and where I get attention for doing other things. I hope you're hearing what I'm saying. I hope you're not bored. And then we judge these people. Like, those people deserve to be judged. I would like to propose to you that some of those people are people sitting in these seats. That you found, you found something, you found some way to allow God in to love you. You figured out how to be, get attention from God. And I can tell you that there's, there's a, well, let's see, how am I going to say this? Are we going too long? Some people become ultra spiritual. It's like God tells them when to go to the bathroom. God tells them what color shirt to wear. Yeah, yeah, I'm serious. Have you ever met people like this? God tells them everything. I mean, about every fourth word is, and the Lord said to me, and God spoke to me. You know what they're really saying? They're saying, I am so afraid that you won't like me, that I have to spiritualize my life to the place where I don't need your affection because God talks, tells me everything. And the real, what I'm really saying is, I have no friends. I don't have any friends. And so... I want you to think about this. Like, you should go home and write down what your soul needs. Guys, to be honest, we're the worst. We have no idea what we're feeling. Someone says, how do you feel? I don't know. I've thought about how I feel. I can tell you what I think. <laughs> right now, I think you're an idiot for asking me how I feel. <laughs> what do I need? Like, how do, what do I need? It, it's amazing what happens when somebody just touches you. Someone touches you on the shoulder. Someone you value just touches you on the shoulder or gives you a hug. It's amazing. It's like, wow, they didn't say anything to me. I can tell you because I get emails and, and you know, text messages and, and people, I'll get on my website and they're like, yesterday I, you walked by me and you grabbed me on the shoulder and said hi to me and changed my life. I'm like, seriously? <laughs> this makes me want to go through and touch everybody.
Listen, let me, let me just use just one, just finish with this example, and I'm going to read a scripture, and we'll be done. You have to have a, we'll just use one, affection and attention. Let's use two, affection and attention. You need attention and need affection. No, I don't. If you don't think you do, we all think you're being dysfunctional. <laughs> you are getting, you're getting it without a plan. And, it's, and some of you, like, I, I don't have any friends. It's possible that there are people in here you don't feel like you have any friends. And I can tell you why you don't if you don't, if you don't. It's one, you don't like you. And two, you don't know how to get your emotional needs met in a healthy way. You have no plan. So when you get into a relationship and somebody shows you any attention, you're like a drowning person. And it is costly to have a relationship with you because you suck the life out of everybody. And the reason why you do that isn't because you're evil. It's because you don't know how to get the need for attention and the need for affection met in a healthy way. So you do it out of reaction instead of proactively getting your need met. And so when somebody has a relationship with you, and I can tell you, here's some of the symptoms. You want some of the symptoms? Is this painful? It might be painful for a few of you. One is that if you have a friend and they have, a, they have someone else in their life who's their friend, you are jealous of their friend. You know what that means? It means you don't know how to have friendships. You, you, you found somebody who showed you some attention and you're trying to get, you're trying to suck all the life out of one person. And when they have a friend with, when they have friend, other friends, you dislike their friends and you build cases against their friends and you try to convince them that they're friends, that they shouldn't hang out with those people. And da, 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 da. Those are all signs that you don't know how to proactively get your needs met. And somebody showed you a little attention. And so out of reaction, you don't like anyone that they like. If you have any of that going on, it's not a sign you're evil. It's not a sign that you're not spiritual or that you don't love God. It's a sign that you are not managing your soul well. You are not managing the needs of your soul well. And guys, I want to stop for a minute. Holy Spirit's telling me this. If you're married or you're thinking about being married, guys, I'm talking to the guys right now. This is important for the girls too. But guys, you're, you're in this area, you should be leading. Your woman needs affection, not just sex. She needs, she needs attention. You know, I, I know that Kathy and I have struggled at times. Kathy has interests I have no interest in and vice versa. You know, when, she, when I sit down and we talk and she's talking about she's doing the stuff for the school and how she's managing and how she's managed all this stuff, I'm like, okay, okay, let's, let's, let's put on let's, my happy face, put on the happy face, okay, he who endures till the end shall be married. We've got to find some place. I, man, I'm all over the place tonight. If you get something out of this, man, you, get, you do collages. <laughs> You've got to find some place to connect with people. Yeah. I, oh, man, I am so, uh, I am so uh, everywhere. <laughs> Gir girls, girls, I'm going to help you. <laughs> no. I know, I started out, I am all over the place, man, tonight. But I feel Holy Spirit. I really do. I don't say that very often, but I do. 
girls, I'm gonna tell you how to get a boyfriend. <laughs> it's all related. It's all directly related. Seriously. The girls are like, oh, you know, here we have to wait here till they, you know, show up. And they never show up. And the guys are like, you know, it's like, this is like fishing at the hatchery. For the guys, they don't have to be committed. They're like, wow, look at all these beautiful women. And I'll tell you what most girls think. They think they got to have it all going on. They got to have big boobs. They got to look like a model. They got to like spend three hours in the mirror. And they think that's going to do it. And I can tell you, you know, just from experience, it's not the most beautiful women that catch men. It's, not, it's none of that. It's somebody who shows value and meets the need of the soul of their men. And it's not hard. It doesn't take a genius. And I'm not saying, like, be ugly. I'm not saying be ugly. I'm just saying, listen, you know what? You, 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 don't, you don't have to look like a model. You just have to, you know, men are very insecure when it comes to women. Like, we don't get you. Don't know why you think like that. And it scares the crap out of us that you do. And so we are terrified that we are going to reach out and you are not going to reach back. And so you just need to show us that you value us. Like, you just need to show us. Like, you know, real easy, girls. You know, if somebody you like is interested in basketball, you're like, I don't know anything about basketball. Hey, you know what, Google? You ever heard of Google? <laughs> Man, you could spend three hours on Google, and you can have an intelligent conversation with the guy you like about the team he likes and make it connect. You're like, well, that's stupid. No, it's not stupid. It's just called, I value enough to care about what you care about. Yeah. And those are the girls that catch the guys. Those are the girls that catch the guys. I'm telling you. This, you show the guy, like, hey, what do you like? I like that too. You, you, well, what if, he doesn't, what if he doesn't like me after that? Well, he, he may not, but it's okay. But if you keep doing that, guarantee you. It, 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 it's not the most beautiful, the biggest whatever, have it all going on. <laughs> I'm telling you, people are, I'm saying, just being a dad to you, they're going getting implants and all that stuff, and you think that's, that's going to, I'll tell you, if you catch a guy like that, you won't keep him. There's always somebody with bigger ones, there's always someone with a better body, there's always somebody that's more beautiful, I'm telling you the truth, you're all, they're always, but there isn't always someone who cares more than you do. I can tell you that. They're very seldom, listen, you can't make that, you know, you can, you can go have some plastic surgery done and, and, and try to keep that going on, but you can always keep, I value you. I care about what you care about. Yeah. What matters in your life matters to me. You can keep that, you can keep that on because that's real. Yeah. You just don't know to do it. I'm serious. Ooh, too much information. I want to just finish with the verse, because we didn't read any tonight. So. <laughs> Sorry. Hope you weren't too, like, the guys got hammered tonight. I'll get the girls for 
Before the month's out, guys, promise. <laughs> Luke 7, 37, I just want to read it to you. I may have read this to you before, but I really, this has been on my heart for so, so long. There was a woman in the city who was a sinner. Actually, that word sinner is actually she was a whore or a prostitute. It's not just like she was a sinner, the Greek word. And when she learned that Jesus was reclining at the table at the Pharisee's house, she brought an alabaster vial full of perfume. Did I read this to you the other day? Okay. And standing behind him at his feet, she was weeping, and she began to wet his feet with her tears and kept wiping them with her hair of her head and kissing his feet and anointing him with perfume. Now, can, you just, can we just picture this for a minute? Jesus is at a Pharisee's house. Okay, I know the Pharisee name's got, Pharisee's got a bad name. But this is a good Pharisee. This Pharisee likes Jesus. He's, he's a religious, he's a pastor. He's at the pastor. Jesus is at the pastor's house. It's him and his 12 leaders. This prostitute, uninvited, if you will, breaks into his house while they're eating dinner. Feels a little weird. Right? Would it be a little weird in your house? I mean, you invite Bill Johnson over. And, you know, you got your friends over because you really respect this guy. And a prostitute finds her way into your house. You're like, I hope he doesn't think she's like, we invited her or she's, you know, or she's a close friend of ours and, you know, in a bad way, you know. And you know what I mean. Now, when the Pharisee who invited Jesus saw this, he said to himself, if this man were a prophet, he would know what sort of person this woman is who's touching him, that she's a prostitute. And Jesus answered him, Simon. Now, he's, this isn't Simon Peter. This is Simon, the name of the, the Pharisee. Jesus says to him, Simon, I have something to say to you. And he replied, say it, teacher. A money lender had two debtors. One owed him 500 denarii and the other 50. When they were both unable to pay, he graciously forgave them. So which of them will love him more? Simon answered and said, I suppose the one whom he forgave more. He said, you have judged correctly. And turning to the woman, he said to Simon, do you see this woman? When I entered your house, you gave me no water for my feet, but she has wet my feet with her tears and wiped them with her hair. Simon, when I entered your house, you gave me no kisses, but she, since I came in here, has not ceased to kiss my feet. And Simon, when I came to your house, you did not anoint my head with oil. But she anointed my feet with perfume. For this reason I say to you, her sins, which are many, have been forgiven. For she loved much. But he who is forgiven little, loves little. And he said to the woman, your sins are forgiven. I love this verse because it tells me how much God loves passion. I love the fact, see, in our life, see, first of all, I think that 
We don't show affection. People go out and get it in the wrong places. And I can tell you that your reputation becomes your reputation. So this lady, she's not just a sinner, she's a prostitute. You know what happens in our world? If we know a girl is a whore or she's a prostitute, I guarantee you that if we do have any affection in our culture, that's the one person we aren't going to touch. That's the one person, listen, we are not going to touch that person because we know that person has what? Spirit of seduction. I can tell you just from years of being in church, like, watch out for that woman. She has a spirit of seduction. Really? Really? How? Well, that's a shock. I mean, just because she wears her dress up here and, you know, everything's showing and she's got it all tight and, you know, you, know, I, you think you have to tell me that? And they're like, be careful. I'm like, you know, you, know, you know what? This girl right here, Jesus turns to Simon and says, I came into your house. You gave me no kisses. The prostitute's kissing his feet. He's telling Simon, you should be doing the same. He's saying, she's doing the right thing. She's shown affection. You, what are you doing? And I just have such a sense, corporately and individually and in marriages, that we need to start valuing our soul and our spirit. And we need to stop being so spiritual. So spiritual. I'm, I don't think it's spiritual. Do you understand that? I'm sure by now. But so spiritual that people who need attention and people that need affection are ostracized or, or dejected or rejected or put down in some way because they're drowning in the sea of sterile environments. And what they really need is a little love. And I understand there's another side to this message. We have to be careful in a sense that when someone's broken, that they don't end up, you don't end up being their, own, their only source. And it's, it doesn't end up, we don't move from holy attraction to fatal attraction. And that does happen. I can tell you, it's happened over and over and over. Or the pastors counseling the woman who starts out giving her holy affection and ends up being fatal attraction because she doesn't know how to manage her soul and he's never got that kind of attention in his life. But that aside, I think every one of us should have a plan, first of all, for our own soul. I mean a proactive, you know, some of you are really good at taking care of your body. I, I mean, I, joking aside, I'm not. But some of you are like, I eat right, I exercise, I sleep right. I mean, I really take care of myself. I really, really mean this. Like, I think that's the right way to live. I wish that when I was young that I would have learned those disciplines, but I haven't. And so I go from exhaustion to exhaustion, and that's when I sleep. I get on the scale, and I'm 20 pounds more than I should weigh, and then I, I'm all excited about getting exercise, 
and I've lived this roller coaster of taking care of myself, not taking care of myself, taking care of myself, not taking care of myself. I think it would be awesome to know what you need for attention, what you need for affection, what you need for significance. I'm just giving you some ideas. You know, every one of us wants to know, if I died, someone would come to my funeral. Somebody would care. If I got sick and I didn't come to whatever, school, church, work, whatever, somebody would actually notice. Everybody wants to feel that way. That when I die, that I did something that was significant to somebody. Some of us are like the world. Some of us are like my family. Some of us are like my children, but I want to feel like my life mattered. Listen, that's not a want. That's a need. I need. And when you tell somebody what you did really meant a lot to me, it's amazing how people suddenly got that need met. When you gave me a hug, man, thank you so much. I really needed that today. That little bit of feedback to that person can make their weak. And so I want to pray for you. I hope this wasn't too much information. Would you stand? I want to pray for you. You want to pray? Would you put your hand on your heart? This is kind of just representing your soul. <laughs> Jason, my Jason Valentin, my son, he said, <laughs> our son. <laughs> he told me this little thing he does. I, I thought it was strange. But he said, uh, Dad, in counseling... I teach people how to talk to their soul and ask their soul what the soul needs. And I said, what happens? He says, the soul talks to them and tells them, this is what I need. I feel afraid. Or I feel scared. I feel rejected. I feel shame. I feel guilt. And he said, all I do is I just have him sit in a chair and I say, I want to talk to your soul right now. And I want your soul to tell me what your soul feels. I said, do they ever not know? He said, sometimes it takes a little while, but within a few minutes, their soul usually is so locked up and so ready to tell anyone who will listen, this is what I need. And he says, then we begin to work on the soul. And David's the one who said in the 23rd Psalm, the Lord restores my soul. And so I want to pray for your soul right now, actually. We pray for every other part all the time. But I want to pray that right now. Lord, I pray for the soul of everyone who's in this room. Some of them are prospering even as their soul prospers. As Third John said, I pray that in all respects you would prosper and be in good health, even as your soul prospers, which is the one verse I wish I would have used tonight. Because <laughs> it was actually my text. I'm using it now, though. 
So all prosperity and health is, is dependent upon my soul. God, I pray for our soul. I pray, God, that you would forgive us for abusing our soul. That you would forgive us for demeaning and devaluing and oppressing our soul. And God, I pray that you would teach our spirit man how to lead our soul and our body in a way that gets us healthy, keeps us whole, helps us to prosper and be in good health. Lord, I bless every single son and daughter, father and mother in here, in Jesus' name. And I also want to pray for your marriages, those that you are married and those that will be. Father, I pray that the things that we learn the hard way, that you would teach these, these people how to take care of one another. They would teach, that you would teach these women how to take care of their men how to meet the need of their soul, how to meet their physical needs, how to meet their spiritual needs. And Father, I pray the same for, for, the, for our men, that they would learn how to meet the needs of their women, how to take care of them, how to nourish them, how to cherish them, how to love them, how to protect them, how to adore them, how to not treat them as objects, how to manage their sexual appetite in a way that feels honoring and beloved how to make sure that their wives don't feel like prostitutes. Lord, I I pray for these things that we learn the hard way, that they would learn by the Spirit, that the Spirit would teach them how to take care of their women. I thank you for it, Father, in Jesus' name. Amen. Thank you very much, Father.